everybody, and welcome to the Death of Death, where we proclaim Christ's victory over sin, death, and everything else. Today is a momentous episode. Uh, it is our 75th episode, which must mean something. Uh, it is uh, taking place I- at Lake Tenkiller, um, and today I have uh, a guest I've been wanting on the show since day one who has never <laughs> wanted to be on the show before, uh, Miss Ashley Diaz. Thank you for being on the show. First female guest Whoa. ever. Um, yeah, so thank you. My uh, my wife doesn't know that we're here together in Lake Ten Killer, but she doesn't listen to this podcast, so she'll, she'll never know. Yes, she does. <laughs> okay. Her name's actually Ashley Stewart. She is my wife and uh, finally making her debut on the podcast. Thank you for being on. Thank you for having me. Yes. <laughs> yes. You are um, one of a few people who I've uh, wanted on the show badly but have never been able to get. Uh, I've been busy. Yeah. <laughs> Taking care yeah. of you. I feel like if I if I could get Alyssa Pobletti now, then then uh, yeah. I would have everyone that I ever really really wanted. Yeah, she would be awesome. Well, um, we watched a documentary while we were here, mm-hmm. and uh, it was about Pentecostals and murder, <laughs> and uh, I think it it brought and up snakes. So and snakes. <laughs> I think it brought up some stuff for you a little bit. Um, I know that you were raised. Charismatic or Pentecostal or kind of both. Pentecostal assemblies of God. Assemblies of God. So like the the base of all. That's kind of where it all comes from, right? Well, to my understanding, not all assemblies of God are super Pentecostal, but I think they would all say they are Pentecostal. Mm -hmm. And by super Pentecostal, I guess that could be charismatic then yeah i don't know if it's assemblies of god or foursquare that actually require anyone who's ordained to speak in tongues well that would be pretty assemblies pretty of god yeah in their ordination you have to say that um speaking in tongues is a f- the first sign of the holy spirit um and you have to uh agree to that so I don't know. I guess you could conflate that with, yeah, you're required to speak yeah. in tongues. Yeah. So. You uh, you grew up in Hemet, California. Hemet, California. Which well, is well, see, I was born in Whittier, California, yes. which is L.A. County, yeah. but yeah, we moved to San Jacinto, California, which is in the Hemet Valley, mm-hmm. when I was like three or four. Yeah. And both of those places, Whittier and Hemet, are lovely, lovely places to grow up. Lovely. Um, if you come from Afghanistan, uh, then those are really good places. Hey, Whittier <laughs> is getting nicer. And yeah, no, Hemet, that's true. their slogan is, Hemet is heaven. So how could you hate a town? Well, that makes see, me want to take a second look at hell, for sure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's really hot. But, I mean, there's it has its... Uh, it has its good parts. Yeah. Being in a valley, the mountains are pretty. So it gets pretty cold at night. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's nice. Yeah. I appreciate that about it. Um, you told me 
last night that uh, when you were afraid of things being in your bedroom, your parents would tell you (laughs) to rebuke the demons. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> and I, I thought that was funny yeah. that you wouldn't just tell your kid that there's nothing yeah in nothing the room. to be afraid of yeah because in the movie the documentary we were watching last night they were saying the supposed murderer mm-hmm. was saying that he was rebuking the devil and claiming the G- yeah anyways so yeah uh when i would be afraid in my room I don't remember the ages that I was, uh, but I would see like dark spots, darker than what was in my room. And it was probably just like my eyes adjusting in the dark. Like maybe the hallway light was on and then shift like when my, I don't know, there was, I thought I saw things, but I didn't. Um, anyways, my mom would tell me to say this. I claim the blood of Jesus and I rebuke the devil. And I would say it like 20 times in a row just because I was that afraid. Um, and I think because growing up in a Pentecostal circle, there you almost talk about the devil and demons just as much as they talk about the Holy Spirit. And then they really never, ever talk about God. So yeah. I was a very aware of demons. So I was always afraid. And so, yeah, I said that all the time. And then sometimes like when I'm al- alone now as an adult and I get scared, my instinct is to say that. But now I just, you know, pray like, Lord, help me <laughs> not be scared right mm. now. You know, I didn't know that. So it, it It's like, yeah second nature to like say that i don't know but um yeah yeah there were some people in my church when i was young that uh were very obsessed with demons and if a guitar string broke then it was (laughs) probably a demon that did it oh i have a good story oh yeah tell me okay so again i don't remember i i I have complex ptsd as you know Mm -hmm. so parts of my childhood I remember them as being in my childhood, but I don't remember how old I was or yeah. anything like that. But how does that differ from regular PTSD? Oh, complex PTSD is traumatic events over a series of years, often developing um, in childhood mm-hmm. into adulthood. And uh, PTSD is one or two specific events, yeah. um, maybe even like up to like three. Yeah, like war or like yeah. being in a car accident or. I hate to say it like being raped you know they're where it's one isolated event mm-hmm. where complex trauma occurs throughout your life and then you develop yeah. so your whole life is just traumatic. trauma yeah, yeah. We're, where i'm on the um the down the down curve now <laughs> <laughs> what does that mean there's no more trauma oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, yet no <laughs> what was um, i saying so your oh, story yeah because yeah, i and part of complex PTSD is uh, memory loss or memory confusion and stuff like that. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, I don't remember how old I was. I remember being in my room and I had a CD player in my room and I had friends over because like our moms may have been having like a Bible study in an- another room or something. Yeah. So there was friends over from church and I believe it was a Tales CD <laughs> of the hits from... That is a very old-fashioned old sentence right there. <laughs> I had a VeggieTales <laughs> compact disc, disc <laughs> in my room. Anyways, 
So we and my friends are like, yeah, let's jam out to the to some Veggie Tales, yeah. and we I put it in, and it was skipping, and oh all of us young kids decided that it was the devil, and we started I don't know like pray maybe what we did was you know how charismatics often like just flip to any page in the bible and go oh yeah that's gonna help me right now i yeah. think we were doing that really and we were praying the demon away and wow. i think i may have broke the cd because it <sighs> represented the devil and man yeah yeah uh, did, did your parents teach you that in some way the the skipping because it it almost seems like this collective unconscious kind of or subconscious like carried over from the old days where like playing a record backward would like have satanic yeah. messages in it like like it's just weird to me that a kid would just n instinctively pick up on yeah. like a weird thing with a with a with music malfunctioning right. would also be <laughs> I may have heard uh something from my dad um I, I don't depending on the timeline uh that movie Detroit Rock City uh with Kiss yeah. in it my dad explained that people thought that if mm. you played it backwards it was you know latin yeah. satanic but i don't think that i did learn that from my parents i just think it was generally a church thing um that i learned in not adult church but kids church so yeah, yeah. Huh. so um you just sort of accepted reality as it was as, as a kid in that yeah. environment right yeah. yeah except i i i questioned a lot of things like uh you know uh my mom had a, a chronic disease growing up so a lot of the pentecostal part of our life was you know signs and wonders and um the people in our church believing that she could be healed by their hand and being slain in the spirit and speaking in tongues and i remember i would walk over from like kids church to adult church and I would see my mom on the floor with like a fancy restaurant napkin on her face. Like, and I would, I would ask the adults like, what's happening? And the adults would say, um, oh, she's slain in the spirit. You know, she's, I don't know what they said. She's drunk in the Holy Spirit and she just needs to lay down a couple more minutes. I don't know. But their intention in slain, you know, doing that with her was because they believed that it would heal her and so there were times where i would go home and go like oh god yeah like oh this is the time my mom will be healed um and she never was and i i questioned like why are we doing these things and in an extravagant way i mean having people on the floor with a dinner napkin um <clears throat> i questioned why do we do that if it doesn't work yeah. And and then I would question my own faith of like, oh, well, the adults at church said she'd be healed. And now we're back at the hospital. Am I not believing in this enough? Am I not mm. drinking the same Kool-Aid? Am I not believing in God or the Holy Spirit enough? Um, yeah. So that was kind of really hard to wrestle with. But because I had felt that Jesus comfort me so deeply in my sorrow of seeing my mom dying in front of me I felt Jesus with me all the time and I believed in Jesus and the stories of the Bible that they mistaught me um, 
and what I could read for myself, but I had a deep relationship with mm. God. So I, I, so you I, never really doubted. No. I doubted the way, I doubted the way church was conducted mm. and, um, but I never doubted him. I'm like, th I felt a mistrust to adults. Yeah. Like we're doing this wrong. Yeah. Um, but I thought everyone was Pentecostal and charismatic. Like I thought yeah. at school when my friends would, you know, go to a different church and they'd say, Oh yeah, we went to church on Wednesday, you know, just talking about it. Yeah. I thought everyone was speaking in tongues. I, I had no idea that there was anything else. Yeah, if I if I had any idea, um, and I can't, I always say this, but I can't underscore enough. Like my parents were not involved in my church yeah. life as as a kid, so it wasn't like this was being forced on me by like Pentecostal parents. But if I had any idea that there were sects or denominations of Christianity that were not practicing tongues and and weird stuff like that. Um, it was probably presented to me as like they're not legitimate Christians or they're, you know, really, really off of what the word actually says. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's just, uh, I don't know, kids have this amazing ability to call and I feel like confirmation bias is something that you develop like throughout your life. Yeah. And so by the time you're like my age and you see things that don't comport with what you already believe, then you've already got all these systems in place to yeah. explain them yeah. away. But kids just don't really have that. So mm -hmm. you can't really <laughs> kids that much about, you yeah. know, we're going to, we've healed your mom 20 <laughs> times and she's not healed. You yeah. know, it doesn't, it doesn't quite work yeah. the same, which you would think it's the opposite. You would think that you could convince a, a kid, kid of anything, to believe but they don't have, they don't have the, the, biases built up yet yeah. to yeah to believe everything mm -hmm. that you're saying to them yeah and uh, yeah I didn't have the tools to speak up mm. but I I definitely question things in in my own mind I don't even think I discussed it I had a really close childhood friend um that went to the same church and I don't even think you know out of our sleepovers and all of that that I shared any of these doubts with her I think I kept it to myself and even like um uh, being at kids camp assemblies of God kids camp if you've never experienced it don't <laughs> it's a wild ride huh <laughs> uh we would be in the chapel having our chapel service and it was always right before lunch or dinner like it was always right before a meal and there would be this lady on a microphone with a puppet speaking in tongues with a puppet with a puppet <laughs> i remember her name was robin i think such a lovely yeah robin soft name the Anyways. Yeah, anyways. <laughs> I was trying to think of the parcel tug from Harry Potter. Oh, parcel tug. <laughs> um, yeah, so we would be in the chapel, like churches from all over that were assemblies of God, and uh, they wouldn't, they would, you know, say, oh, you're about to receive the gift of uh, the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit's going to be with you, um, but you got to speak in tongues, you know, that that's, that's the deal. And... Um, so it would we would just be in this room of kids 
speaking in tongues and adults having their hands on them and laying hands on them to speak in tongues. And I remember like never go like it was it never happened for me. But when you're a child and you're in a room with a bunch of people doing something, you feel left out and you feel like if you say it didn't happen for you, that you you'll be the outcast or that you know, I don't have the Holy Spirit. That means that I'm not going to heaven and you're going to look at me and tell me, you know, as a kid, yeah. the thoughts just spiral. And so, and they also would say like, you know, you can't leave. Like you, you can't leave until this happens. Like you're dismissed. It was one of those, like you're dismissed um, to lunch as soon as this happens for you. So I, you just wanted to eat a grilled cheese. Right? Yeah. <laughs> so I remember holding the hands of my childhood best friend. Her mom was with us. I was holding her hands and I just repeated what she was saying. And I did that every year for the years that I went to kids camp. Yeah. I just, you know, let's get this show on the road. Like, I don't want to be sitting here asking for it. I need to get out, go to lunch, hang out with my friends. Yeah, there was like archery, you know, it was fun times, mm -hmm. but I had to get out. So I, I would mimic it. Yeah. Yeah. I definitely wondered. I don't know if I ever thought that I like wasn't saved because I wasn't speaking in tongues, but I definitely wondered like why other people were doing it. And I never, Yeah. you know, assuming anyone ever does it legitimately, which I would cast doubt on, mm -hmm. uh, you never legitimately spoke in tongues. <laughs> you were, you were always faking it. Right. Oh yeah. hundred percent. Yeah. 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 But Wild. I didn't know that that wasn't normal. Yeah. Um, I, re I remember, uh, so I was graduated high school, went on to Vanguard University in Costa Mesa, which is an Assemblies of God school. Um, and there's, there was two significant things uh, that came out of that. One was I was sitting in my first day of theology class theology you know 101 with frank machia great guy uh great guy that guy <laughs> but um okay, okay. <laughs> I, I learned that day being i think i was 19 maybe i was 18 i learned that day that the word trinity is not in the bible like it's not there but when you grow up charismatic it's in the bible and uh it, it's definitely there um so uh, aren't a lot of Pentecostals uh, oneness? Yeah, but they're called, called oneness, oneness Pentecostals. Okay, so yeah, I you wouldn't think you were not of that variety. No, I assemblies of God definitely isn't. Okay, yeah, but uh, so that was really significant to learn. So, so what exactly is the grift there? Like they just say it's in the Bible, or they or just they, uh, they imply it just that it just is, thrown or? around so much there's just so little regard for the bible perhaps exactly that, yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. that yeah. it just sort of seems yeah. that way yeah and i only had the tools as a young person to read what i could and i may i just never put the two and two together until frank machia literally said the exact words the word trinity is not in the bible i just didn't put it together until i was 19 and then a second significant thing with studying theology in college was I got kicked out of Vanguard. Um, that was a fun story. All that Coke, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that root beer pong. <laughs> uh, I got kicked out of Vanguard for 
terrible reasons. But anyways, I then um, took a break and I started at Cal Baptist. And I remember being in, I think it was a Romans class uh, in at Cal Baptist because I was still trying to get my degree in theology. Anyways, so I was in my Romans class and, and uh, we, there was some sort of tangent on Corinthians. And is it for first Corinthians 13 or 16 where it talks about speaking in tongues? Uh, 12 through 14. 12 through, yeah. So we're in that tangent and we're for the first time in my life, I'm studying that, you know, speaking in tongues and what the Bible says about it in, in a room filled with people who don't believe in speaking in tongues. Um, and so that was the first time I, you know, got to digest it in a different lens. And I think that was my first actual crisis of faith that had nothing to do with my parents or had nothing to do with my own suffering from you know my parents um that was my first what have i been believing my entire life because you know the professor digested it so well and it and it was very apparent to me what the bible actually says about it um so as hard as that was it was really like a really cool like aha aha moment that catapulted you know imploring all of the things that i was taught as a child for myself yeah um yeah i've been i've been saying it on the podcast and i wrote a blog about it recently but when you have a shift like that where you start to come to a more orthodox position or you know just learn anything new when you're convinced of the like uh biblical uh accuracy of a certain thing that is different than what you've been taught you do have this internalized feeling of like you've been lied to your whole life yeah and so you can get a little angry yeah and um maybe a little bitter toward those who taught you differently because you feel like they lied to you Mm -hmm. not only do i feel like they lied to me but i feel like it's a form of child abuse like which part exactly misteaching or the 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 spiritual gift the misteaching and the just exercising authority as an adult over a child and you're just you're just everything to a kid you know kids think that adults are god sometimes you know and and just to believe that all those things are real and that it's almost like brainwashing over Mm -hmm. time and um even like the laying on of hands like um being a kid and just knowing at any time like in in any service that somebody might lay hands on you because god told them to and you're like well i never asked to be touched i never asked this adult to touch me and um it could be i i have touch problems for a lot of reasons but one of the reasons is from people laying hands on me yes yeah, so I, I have touch problems where I'm very uncomfortable being touched even by those I trust um, and one one of the reasons is you know just having adults lay hands on me even even kids I mean they would be like come on kids like yeah. um, so 
it that to me is is a form of child abuse and um our friend jessica debella um she had said something that kind of put a lot of things together for me um about her daughter of like you know when you're at like your grandpa's house or you know your uncle's house and and the parent always says give grandpa a kiss or give uncle a kiss mm-hmm. um that's encouraging like the child to think that they should kiss all adults because my parents are saying do this do this especially when they don't want to right and so jessica had made a a really good point where you know she wants the adult to ask maylene or ask jessica or mario if it's okay if they give the maylene a hug um and so that kind of put it together for me of no child even from a bait like very young age you know really shouldn't be touched um unless the parent it really is okay with the parent or yeah. you know Maylene now is over two and she's just starting to be able to probably put it together that she can say yes or no yeah. to that hug or kiss and so um yeah yeah I I remember there was a VBS at my church and I was friends with like the youth workers who worked at it and I I think we were like at a midweek Bible study, like at night, but it was during the week of mm-hmm. VBS. So I, I just asked someone like, Hey, you know, how's, how's VBS going? And <laughs> they said something like, Oh man, it's awesome. Just casting demons out of kids. And <sighs> I'm like, I don't even want to know. I don't even want to know what, <laughs> what that looks like. That? Uh, Calvary. Yeah. It was not a very, uh, Calvary thing. I don't think most Calvary chapels would be like that, yeah. but, all Calvary chapels are pretty independent, so you do run the yeah, risk of yeah, having them different. act uh, aberrant. Um, <laughs> and uh, and it's just like, gosh, I, I, don't, I don't even know. Like, were you like laying them down on the floor and put your hands on them? Like, yeah. just weird stuff. Just weird. Mm-hmm. Do you remember the first time that you called BS on an adult? I don't think I ever did as a kid. Yeah. I just went along with, I just did. And like, do you remember the first time ever? Like, did it stick in your mind as like a momentous moment when you like call it, like saying it out loud or when in my you head. heard an adult say something and you were like, that's BS. <laughs> I don't, I don't believe that. <laughs> um, again, out loud or in my head. Cause I never did Either. out loud Either. ever. You never did out loud. Mm-hmm. So in your head, in my head, I mean, if it's not something you remember vividly, then it was, it's... Pr- it probably had to do with why isn't my mom healed and why are you yeah. saying this stuff? Um, I yeah. think uh, watching Benny Hen on TV, <laughs> um, that seemed like BS. Like, yeah. there's no way. And I, I, re- I think I remember my mom even going to see Benny Hen, but I don't think she got called up. Um, mm. I don't know. Anyways, I think, yeah, probably a mixture of all of that and especially seeing Benny Hen on TV and the people line up for him. And j- there's just no way that within seconds, somebody with cancer all of a sudden doesn't have cancer yeah. just because Benny Hen did that. And so, yeah, I think Benny Hen's probably a good one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I was listening to a podcast that uh, Francis Chan was on, and that's not a, a habit of mine, just so you all know, but... Uh, I Someone like sometimes. I like him as a person. <laughs> yeah. I'm not sure if I would agree with a lot of his teaching, but um 
someone sent it to me and wanted me to listen to it and i'm glad i did because it was it was really good but um he he was talking about how he got in trouble for taking a picture with benny hinn uh not too long ago like maybe a year and a half ago he got canceled i think he got canceled <laughs> by like reformed people who don't matter um but yeah. i don't i don't think by like the the mass of christianity anyone cared but yeah. um he uh he said you know like he had lunch because they were at the same conference or something and so he was just talking about like the full story of the picture and he had lunch and benny hen was there he probably paid for it and uh he sat there at the table and he told you know all the theology speakers at the conference that were eating with him he, he just told them like i've made a mess of my life and i misled people and i've taught you know i was too obsessed with money and all this stuff so now i'm just setting aside time every day to read the bible and and get close to jesus and then he like led them in this old hymn um i can't remember which one it was but he he was just like really excited to be getting back to the bible yeah. and getting back to and then uh, and then at the end of that lunch he wanted to take a picture with everyone and francis chan's just like what, what was i supposed to do yeah. in that situation but, you know, like th he did say that in that moment he had this feeling like, um, you know, he could be ending his career by taking this <laughs> photo. But anyways, um, I think Benny Hinn came out publicly not long after that yeah, and yeah. Uh, repudiated the prosperity gospel, if I recall. Yeah. Um, he like apologized on Twitter or something. Yeah. And his nephew uh, has obviously uh, been out of that world for a while and is in more of a. I guess more of a reformed yeah. space, but uh, were were you into that at all as a kid? The prosperity stuff, or was it mostly? Yeah, it w there was definitely prosperity aspects because mm. it was Creflo Dollar. <laughs> <laughs> it was God doesn't want your mom to suffer, you know. God doesn't yeah. want your your dad to deal with alcoholism, so uh, we're gonna do X, Y, and Z to remove those things and and prove that God only wants good for somebody. Um, I, I, I would say that's a huge aspect of the prosperity gospel is they don't really believe in, in the Christian life, uh, have being involved with suffering. And, yeah. um, I think suffering, the theme of suffering and the, signs and wonders aspect uh, are all the things that led me to study theology and philosophy because the what adults were telling me didn't make there was no room for suffering when what adults were telling me and mm -hmm. it was like no like I knew just as much as I felt God and Jesus in my life comforting me as a child I also knew the depths of suffering you know I also knew the the trauma and um and just the pain that you know this life can give and so but the what the adults weren't saying that my beliefs in evil were like valid that you know it was you need to pray harder for your mom and you need to read your bible more and um you know be a witness to to your dad you know the enemy has a hold on him so you just need to you know shake him mm. up and be but, his witness and but no pressure but no pressure <laughs> and it felt like well none of those things are working you know and and i um s through studying theology there were snippets of 
ways to make sense of suffering and evil and then um, just snippets and then I you know I had the tools to start researching things for myself and then that's why I decided to do my master's in philosophy is so that I could you know make sense of suffering and evil and mm. and um now I feel like I I can now um and I, and I think that explanation made my relationship with God mend in a lot of ways and and become stronger because I, I now um I now feel like I know mostly what God wants for the human life and I think that's where a lot of falsity exists in churches is they may or may not be misinterpreting the Bible correctly, you know, whatever. But often like a big theme is that they don't know what God wants for them. They're, they're thinking God is good. So life and my life should be good. And everything that stems from that belief alone is where all of the, you know, heresy happens. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's kind of a uniquely, um, 20th, 21st century view of Christianity. It's kind of the only time in history that that view would really work well. Um, yeah. cause it's the only time in history where, well, actually it's the only time. And the U S is pr probably one of the only places, uh, at that time where, <laughs> where Christians aren't, you know, being, liberally murdered uh, yeah yeah <laughs> so it's kind of a view that uh is bereft of uh you know any historical context in a lot of ways because mm -hmm. you would have to kind of say that most of cr uh, church history has kind of been failing and living up to what god wants mm -hmm. for their life by being martyred and uh persecuted and mm -hmm. stuff yeah so you got kicked out of vanguard and then what <laughs> <laughs> Then I uh, got my bachelor's from California Baptist University. Mm -hmm. I felt... Where you had a great teacher named Matthew Barrett. Who Matthew I'm a Barrett. Big, I'm a big fan yeah. of him. He was my t professor when he was finishing his dissertation. And uh, I had a lot of classes with him. Yeah. Um, Matthew Barrett, come on my podcast. <laughs> <laughs> he was a nice guy. I At that time... I didn't have a lot of tattoos, uh, but I had a few and I had my tongue pierced. And so <laughs> to be at a Baptist college studying theology where there was maybe one other girl in the class, um, a lot of my professors didn't know what to do with me and mm. uh, pretty much only corresponded with me over email. It was kind of like you were <laughs> auditing the class, yeah. right? <laughs> but Matthew <laughs> She's Barrett, not really here. I mean. Yeah. <laughs> He, uh, you know, he, I felt there was, uh, you know, respect for me being in a class full of men with him. And, um, he, uh, I had, I think the class was called Christian Moral Ethics. And we went through Scott Ray's book, Christian Moral Ethics. I think it's called, and Scott Ray's at Biola, which is where mm -hmm. I got my master's. But we went through that book and it was like ethical dilemmas each chapter was a different dilemma you know abortion and um, assisted suicide and um, business ethics and all kinds of stuff and each week we would go through a topic and I 
overwhelmingly annoyed him with questions and he <laughs> always answered um and so yeah. uh, i think that also sparked an, a big interest in philosophy for yeah. me so then you got your master's in philosophy at talbot seminary mm-hmm. yeah how was that for you talbot school of theology yeah. uh, which which school would you say was more respectful towards you Biola. Cal, Cal Baptist or Biola. <laughs> Biola. <laughs> yeah. Not Cal, they did Do their their best. That's way. partially because you were in the philosophy side of things. Yeah. Do you think uh, if you were in the theology side, it would have been could, different? I could have had a totally different opinion. I don't know. Um, you know, because the philosophy uh, masters is a part of the seminary programs. Mm-hmm. You know, I think thirty percent of my degree was in theology but it wasn't like my core classes so i didn't care to pay mine to the professors or um very much you know i i paid mine to the philosophy professors and um still only being you know one of very few girls but feeling very respected uh by my professors there except for (laughs) None other than William Lane Craig, <laughs> <laughs> but he did his best. I mean, he did his best. I had him twice because he does seminars, and so I had him twice, uh, one January and then the following January. Mm-hmm. And he always remembered my name. And he, I think if there was another girl in my class, he would call them Ashley. So, but he didn't. So you were his favorite. <laughs> I, I don't know but you know he does these daily devotionals uh-huh. for his seminar his, his seminars and they are only applicable to men they are uh-huh. not applicable to women at all yeah. um and that is the only like out loud thing that he did but yeah i mean uh, yeah he, he he meets a lot of people and he does a lot of things and he's mm-hmm. getting older so yeah. you know. well there's there's very few things more abrasive than young pastors but um the only thing more so would be uh young pastors who are not pastors yet <laughs> yeah they yeah so i can only imagine there was a lot yeah a lot of people at viola who in in Talbot School of Theology mm-hmm. that yeah yeah right, right. <laughs> just yeah there they would be you know going to school full-time the men and then the wives would be uh taking care of the kids and working a full-time job and um yeah how's that for complimentarian yeah right? so <laughs> complimentarian yeah <laughs> Joe Thorne says <laughs> Um, yeah, so suffering. Suffering was uh, the thing that really uh, drove you to want to study philosophy mm-hmm. and want to have answers to things and and probably also waking up a little bit and realizing that you hadn't been taught an yeah. overly uh, accurate way of of seeing the Bible. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So what have what have you accomplished in that area? <laughs> what do you um, wh- what can you share? I learned a lot. There's two ways to like approach suffering, I guess, academically, you could say. One would be like the, the pastoral approach of, um, you know, how to comfort a person who is suffering and how to, how to, to be with someone who's suffering. Um, and, and those tools look like, um, you know, giving somebody 
space and bringing them food and hearing them out and not necessarily like having the answers for them, but just being there. Um, there's a little bit of psychology mixed in there a little bit. Um, and so understanding pastoral suffering in a, in a different way where I'm not just going to say pray harder. I'm going to say be with that person. Um, turn to the Psalms of lament and um, comfort them with, you know, people suffering in the Bible that it, it is real and it does occur and nowhere in the Bible does it say we won't suffer. You know, Paul actually promises that we'll suffer. Um, so yeah, unpacking pastoral, I would say like emotional suffering was very cool and um, helped me realize that at people suffer differently. So, mm. you know, some some person X might need pastoral emotional um, answers to suffering where, you know, person Y needs paper, like logic, and I, I need to see it on paper to make sense of it. Um, I think because I was so abused with like emotions in the Pentecostal church, I didn't want the emotional answer to suffering um, or the pastoral answer to suffering um, personally for me. Um, but anyway, understanding it better at Biola was awesome. But what I needed was logic. And um, I started like exploring what's called the logical problem of evil and in and, and its ways uh, to logically, you know, marry suffering and God and evil and God and good and bad. And it's all ways to how, how do these things coexist? And can I make sense of God while saying evil is very real? And so learning those tools and, um, learning how to, you know, ex explain it away in a way that it makes sense but god is still good mm -hmm. um that was uh very formative there too <laughs> um but another really cool thing that i learned in philosophy see i thought when i got into the program at talbot the philosophy program there's two kinds of philosophy uh one is called continental where you study philosophy of the philosophers that's already been done and you're not really like questioning it um you're le learning about kant and um kierkegaard and um you know aristotle and that kind of stuff and so i thought oh yeah i'm gonna read books about these these amazing minds who have already solved all these problems and it's gonna be great um, that's not the program that it is. It, it's uh, the other part of philosophy that's called analytical philosophy. And um, that means, uh, you know, no philosophy set in stone. You can question it all. You can disprove it all. And um, you can play the devil's advocate. You can, you know, all of that. And there's a lot of logic involved. Um, and logic, you know, is hard. <laughs> so... <laughs> Anyways, but Can't I was, be, yeah. <laughs> it was very hard. But one of the things I really, another thing I really appreciated 
in the program was epistemology and and that is um you know how do we prove the things that we know and do we know anything and that kind of stuff and um in epistemology there's something called um uh epistemic responsibility and that means that you're responsible uh for your beliefs because beliefs spread um you can't just believe uh in aliens without justification and rationality for it because your belief in aliens is contagious even if you're not going hey nick please believe in aliens because i believe in aliens they're gonna see it in your behavior and in in your actions of the the things that you believe um and then it spreads like wildfire from there and you know the foundation the the first believer is responsible for their beliefs um we all are we all should be uh very responsible for our beliefs and 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 have at any moment true justification for them um before we say out loud that we believe them and i think learning that also helped with my childhood because it was like now i know when i working because i worked with kids my entire 20s you know I'm very much responsible for my influence over them and the, and having the things that I believe uh, presented to them, even working in church with kids, like the way that I present the gospel to them and the way that um, I live my life, you know, that I'm responsible for it. I, I, I carry that and um, you can't form like... A solid belief in somebody else if 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 you don't have the the mm -hmm. justification for it um and yeah and and when i say justification it, it's not only like you know valid reasons why but it's also valid reasons why it's true mm -hmm. i mean we all believe things that aren't true but we they exist and we believe them like um the world could be flat i mean we believe that that's a thought but it's not true it is it is flat actually <laughs> I've, I've, um I, s I read a blog you read a, one blog yeah no a blog if you're yeah. convinced well it was it sourced a youtube video so yeah it wasn't like it was just one blog it yeah <laughs> had it a lot of minds <laughs> <laughs> when are we going to talk about cults right now <laughs> uh so speaking of epistemic responsibility i want to ask we just watched a QAnon documentary and also listened to a time suck episode about it so now we know everything about it uh i mean <laughs> i just, I, I know 95 percent more than i did before yeah, for yeah. sure um but a big part of that i feel like is this implicit uh, doctrine of epistemic responsibility where Ron Watkins who is absolutely Q there's no <laughs> there's no way you're going to convince me differently yeah. that he's not Q at, based on the documentary I saw uh, but maybe that's just naive of me um, I'm just programmed by the, the lizard people to believe that way but um, the lizard people made the documentary. Okay. Well, you know what? I actually thought about like, what if a QAnon believer saw this documentary? Like, would this be convincing? 
but it really couldn't be because everything is rigged. Uh, I mean, yeah, not a, they don't all believe in lizard people. I was joking, and you were too. Yeah. But um, everything's rigged and everything's programmed by the cabal. So I mean, yeah, the documentary could be totally fake. Any, I yeah. mean, anything that is not in favor of of the Q beliefs could be mm-hmm. could be rigged by the cabal. So yeah. I mean, there's really no way to convince anyone of anything. Um, but a huge part of it is that like Ron Watkins is partially, if not fully responsible for like the Capitol riot and, uh, Donald Trump is largely responsible for the Capitol riot. And I, as a, you know, an individualist and a libertarian and more accurately an anarchist, uh, I don't really believe that, um, I don't really believe that Donald Trump, even with his words, could be responsible for someone breaking a window at the Capitol. Um, I, I believe, you know, that he uh, maybe fueled a fire, but unless he took the person's hand and broke the window himself, he doesn't really bear any responsibility uh, for it. Um, so, I mean, like, how do you feel, like, where would you land with all of that as far as it relates to what we were just talking about, like, the epistemic mm. responsibility? Like, how responsible are you for the consequences of your ideas? Yeah. Well, like you said, with his words, his direct words, you know, there's little evidence to say that he, you know, is culpable. Yeah. Uh, well, yeah, because he said fight like hell and stuff. And it would take me less than five minutes to find an example of every politician on the planet saying, if not the exact same words <laughs> in another yeah. context. Yeah. I think it was different because it was obviously a, a rowdy crowd and there were different um, connotations to the context, I guess, in mm-hmm. which he said fight like hell. But like his words alone uh, are no different than things that Hillary Clinton was probably saying yeah. about their side of things during the 2016 election, you know? So, um, so I interrupted you, but, but yeah, people, people are saying that he is responsible because of his words, uh, stoking this, mm-hmm. uh, you know, mob, I guess you could call it. I guess with that, it, it's not necessarily his words, but his, his ideas and and Mm -hmm. what he has come to represent but never dismissed himself yeah and i think my alien example would be you know am i would you be culpable for causing another person to believe in aliens but maybe i mean I don't know. There's like different circumstances to which culpability could apply or even yeah. matter. Because it's not always a riot we're talking about. It, you yeah. Know, uh, like, sp- I mean, what's what's a negative result of believing in aliens? Um, maybe I wasting your time, maybe. <laughs> you know, causing more people to and becoming yeah. obsessed with information that could be false. Uh-huh. Um, and like with atheism we can see like the consequences of those ideas could you know in a legitimate way be eternal damnation for other people that they led along but um you know i wouldn't say that they like forced people to believe you know what they ended up saying but there are consequences to that you're culpable for the initial spark yeah so not 
like with the Capitol, it wouldn't be the action of breaking the window. It, would Trump be culpable or no. Ron be culpable? It's the, the, the spark of interest of information that led to those events in which they are culpable. Yeah. They are culpable for forming a belief system within an individual that would lead them to, you know, behave that way and, and cause, yeah. you know, harm to the Capitol. Yeah. And I mean, that that situation is very different for a lot of reasons. And I, I think, um, you know, I'm not going to be completely irrational and say Donald Trump could say absolutely whatever he wants. And he's totally, you know, right to do that and stuff. But, um, you know, I'm saying to the exact moment of violence that is completely in the person's hand who's doing it. If if you were believing something that Donald Trump, the host of The Apprentice, <laughs> was telling you, <laughs> yeah, um, then you know that's on you. You're you're an idiot. Yeah. If if you actually you know you're gonna spend the rest of your life in jail for breaking a window because Donald Trump <laughs> told you something, yeah, or told you to. I mean, he didn't tell anyone to do that, but. Um, he's he riled you up to the point that you would do that eh, that's on you yeah but uh i think for donald trump uh for his personal responsibility to not see the writing on the wall of like yeah. what was coming well, yeah which to be fair like as of you know january 5th i mean there there's a podcast if you guys uh somebody somebody commented on like a really old post of mine and was like, well, this didn't age well, even oh. though it really, really did. But um, I, I thought of, I thought of posting this podcast to say, well, if you want something that didn't age well, here's a podcast from November where I said the right never riots. <laughs> and because at the time that was true. Yeah. <laughs> at the time we'd never seen anything like that. So it wasn't, it wasn't really on the, on the table. Um, but you know, I, I think anyone, you know, could have, see, we're just not talking about a rational person. We're talking about Donald Trump, but I, I think someone should have seen what was already going down, you know, and, and maybe he didn't know. Cause I guess he wasn't telling people to be peaceful until, you know, we were pretty far into the, the event. Mm -hmm. Um, but you know, I, he probably just didn't know the extent of it, to be honest, he wasn't there, you know? Um, but I, I think there, there's some, responsibility on him to not kind of see the writing on the wall of like what was possible through mm -hmm. all this and that was probably just him not paying attention mm -hmm. like I mean there were you know I mean it's kind of a precursor to QAnon but like the guy who went and shot up the pizza place and the guy who went and smashed up the church and the yeah. guy you know and and like you know the Q world was like vaguely connected to a lot of mass shootings and so anyone who was paying attention to the uh group that you're retweeting <laughs> yeah. which he might not even run his freaking social media all the time so you can't even say that he really even knew what that was but you know he's retweeting QAnon stuff and QAnon is vaguely connected to some violent stuff yeah. so I mean to not see that and then say like hey if I tell these people to go march down to Capitol Hill some some crap might go down yeah um yeah, I don't. I don't even know where I'm really going with well, that. It's just I, I, it, I believe there should be some sort of responsibility, but only for what you directly do. And so, 
if Trump is responsible only for what Trump does, then I can't say that he's totally lacking all responsibility for what they did because it was in a reaction to his ideas, but the actual violence of it has to be in their hands alone and not his because they're the ones that did it. And they might, they might've been misled. They might've been deceived, but yeah. You know, well, I don't know. So I, I, I guess I haven't really thought through this the, all the, the way. Like again, like the culpability is the the generalized ideas and words and information that causes an action. I think the action would be a, a second ordered product of of uh, his I, Trump's ideas. So mm-hmm. the action would be in the hands of the individuals, but there's another thing called epistemic um standing we're at you know at any one point with our cognitive tools and our um our life experiences um all the things that help us form beliefs it it changes over time so you know your epistemic standing as a seven-year-old isn't the same as a 30-year-old um so and it even can change day to day. You have different, you know, resources for your beliefs uh, every day. Yeah. And so what, you know, Trump contributed to was, you know, the the uh, the tool that, you know, informational tools that the resources from which they were the, pulling. Right. And they were forming beliefs. Um, I think, too, with Trump, there was a lot of emotional aspect to it. So not only was there some, you know, information that could have been true or false, but there's this emotional following with Trump. And so based on their emotional thoughts, their, you know, informative thoughts, they're forming a belief that caused an action. So I think the the culpability with Trump is it, it really is the the spark um, in following a movement, um, yeah. And, that and to be fair to one of the worst presidents we've ever had, uh, a lot of what he said, he had no idea. Yeah, I mean, he I, never I mean, knows. The, the comment about the right. storm meant nothing. Yeah, and the but whole again, thing that's was, why you know, but but he had no idea that every little word he said was being decoded yeah. and used to like support this whole system. So I mean, there there is a certain level to which he was not. But then later on. I yeah. think when he was directly, you know, referencing QAnon without dismissing it, yeah. I, I think that he was, he definitely knew he was yeah. contributing in some way. But. but again, that's why we all are epistemically responsible for mm-hmm. our beliefs yeah. and our words, because again, you don't know what's going to, you know, spread yeah. like wildfire and what, how it's going to affect an individual. I mean, it's not always plain. Um, you know there's a lot that a lot of cognitive things that we that we use to form actions and beliefs so yeah Yeah. what's your favorite cult my favorite cult i really really am obsessed with scientology yeah that's a that's a good cult because it's contemporary yeah you know like to to create something like that in the modern day 
you know i used to believe before QAnon, i believed it was pretty hard but <laughs> maybe maybe it's not as hard as i thought but but you know it's not like mormonism where there was still like a level of mysticism to life in general where history. Y- you still believed in witches and stuff and like whether or not that's real i don't know but like you know he he created that in the 1800s when like people were just a little more susceptible to beliefs like that yeah um to do what scientology did in like the Recent 50s years. yeah 50s 60s i don't even yeah, yeah the si- about the 60s. about the 60s he probably wrote the books in the 50s i think yeah so yeah but man yeah and like for anyone who wants a successful political campaign i recommend checking out scientology's structure yeah just the um the blatant abuse of the legal system in your favor the uh the emotional manipulation it's like yeah if you if you actually want to get somewhere oh yeah the financial um what's the word well i guess monopoly would be a a good word for it but uh you know completely monopolizing people's finances to the point where they can't function without you Mm -hmm. um yeah i mean that's just uh for as as immoral as it was um or is uh you know it's quite a magnificent thing that was pulled off there <laughs> you know yeah it's very unique yeah it is i mean to be one of the most interesting aspects of it is that it's not that old i mean even like you said mormonism at least it it, it doesn't go back as far as the bible which you know the original mono theistic religions are you know islam judaism and christianity and so even if you don't believe one of those three are true or any of them are true there's at least like really long time historical roots that caused people to believe all these things and and even like discovered artifacts and for all three of of those religions and Mormonism has a little bit of that. I mean, I don't think that they've ever found the tablets. Like, the I don't, I don't think, so. think they have that. Uh, but again, at least it goes, like, far back enough-ish where, it, you know, they have some history. But Scientology, it's like, no, you've been alive in, in the time, an old, you know, an older person has been alive in the time yeah. that it was created yeah. like there was a my, moment my parents are older yeah than Scientology. <laughs> there was a moment of creation that you can refer back to i mean that it's just bananas to me that l rod hubbard movie producer or whatever he was yeah. book writer fiction sci-fi writer l rod hubbard <laughs> why yeah. are you getting behind his religion yeah Stephen King just came out with a religion. <laughs> Are you gonna follow it? Yeah. Again, that's why, like, the belief. Stephen King's God now. Are you gonna buy? Yeah. Did you, are you gonna buy into this? <laughs> that's just why, like, the beliefs and thoughts and 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 idea movements they just spread yeah. like wildfire. I yeah. mean, it, and look at the the kingdom Scientology has become. Yeah, I mean, I think it's on the decline now. I think. Um, media just got to a place where you couldn't hide things anymore and so many documents and I mean really argue with me all you want uh, the the reason 
Scientology is known as well as it is is because of South Park. South Park was the first <laughs> yeah. any sort of media to take a shot at yeah. them because they knew that they would not face consequences because they're just such small potatoes yeah even though they shouldn't be because almost everyone watches it especially back then Mm -hmm. um but it's like nobody in the entertainment industry was taking a shot at them until south park did it and then once someone does it and doesn't get sued it's safe for another person there's a legal precedent to for someone to follow and that's i mean leah remini could not be doing what she's doing without south park so i can't remember where i was going with that but oh no yeah because even back when south park did that first episode on it i mean what was that 2006 youtube barely existed (laughs) you know like streaming services weren't even a thing uh all these documentaries and all these things i'm sure there was a documentary or two but they probably got sued so badly that they had to there was yeah a a couple older ones definitely yeah Yeah. i mean they were known for suing people who talked bad about them so that's why you know they were able to keep so much of this information under wrap but i think the internet just got too big and and people became too informed Mm -hmm. for it to continue on the way it was so anyways i as far as i know they're financially not as well off as they used to be and they're declining in numbers and a lot of people are escaping and um yeah so we might live to see the fall of scientology once and for all i don't know if it'll ever fully go away it'll Uh, probably be like heaven's gate where there's still like two people (laughs) running the website did you know that i don't know i I don't know if that's yeah is that heaven's gate or is that one of the other ones no that's nick nick nexium it's the one where almost everyone committed suicide with the nikes on that wasn't heaven's gate was it that was something else i'm drawing a blank yeah it's heaven's gate or it's or it's one of it's something else but it was a very sci-fi mixed with bible cult and um, I should know this. I, I feel like it's not for me. some reason. I feel like it's not Heaven's Gate. Um, but maybe it is. Uh, but they were the ones that committed mass suicide with this specific style of Nikes on, which is the worst press you could ever get as, as a company. They but, don't um, make those Nikes anymore. I bet not. Yeah. <laughs> but there's uh, there's still like two people in in the cult who uh, are like running the website and and still like vaguely believe in the stuff. And man, can you imagine a world where Scientology is boiled down to like a cup. Tom Cruise in a blog? <laughs> like, yeah. You know. Tom Cruise and John Travolta. Uh, I don't know if Tom Cruise would ever come out of it. No, for he's anything. pretty convinced. I mean, even if he was convinced otherwise, I don't know if he would ever, you know. Yeah. 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 I think one of the biggest ways to spot a cult is if at one time in one sitting, if you cannot be given the entire doctrine of beliefs, the entire, you know, book that those doctrines came from if you can't receive a physical copy of what the thing believes at one time one day it's most likely a cult if you have to go up a level to receive more information it's most likely a cult and and that's why i think mormonism is also a cult because you cannot at one time you you learn new things at different layers like and, and, and it's not 
like the difference in you know as a kid you learn this and as an adult you learn this it's no like a series of you know classes and things that yeah. get you to certain levels yeah. and and especially with nexium it was like the you know definition of a pyramid scheme and it was like it was for 199 dollars yeah. you well, take scientology the next class. you pay to go yeah. up the oh, yeah. the ladder to become clear yeah. and then that that's when that's why a lot of celebrities are the ones to discover all of it being false is because celebrities are the ones that have the money to get there like mm. you cannot be clear go clear in scientology that's why scientology ruins people's lives is because you cannot go get to clear until you can pay to go up the ladder and they change the prices all the time and the books cost money and the classes cost money and the and the counseling thing that they do costs money it all costs money and so that's why you know leah remney it was after she got to the point of clear and then one time they like added a level, like there's only a certain amount of levels, but then, but then too many people got up to the so top. They so they added <laughs> a level and then the rich people got past that level. And yeah. so those are the people who are calling the because they have money to get there. And yeah, I don't think Mormonism, you have to pay to go up. I don't, I don't think that's how it works with Mormonism. Well, they, they do it's have like class. It's you like, have to show them your pay stubs and, you have to give them 10% of everything you make. Yeah. So there, there is a financial aspect, aspect. to that yeah, as well. Yeah, I mean, they're a rich organization too. But and yeah, if you shouldn't be involved in anything that at any time you can't know everything about it. I mean, yeah. you can't even Google secrets of the Mormon church or of the of Scientology. Yeah, things yeah. leak, but it's not, not at all everything. It. <laughs> it's not. Nowhere and, near all of it. Yeah, and that, you know, it's, you know sometimes... I, I, you know, it just makes me really sad because we should all be able to conclude, yes, have influence from, uh, you know, those wiser than us and, and, you know, those who have been doing it longer and all of that. But at the end of the day, we should all have the proper information to conclude our beliefs. And, um, it it's sad and that too well the, the saddest part is that all of these people i mean everyone is is looking for some kind of hope yeah and whether it's the celestial kingdom or some kind of transcendency or donald trump hanging pedophiles you know like any of these things if they were true i would you know love to have them <laughs> you right. know but uh but you know it's it's just most of the time it's well-meaning people looking for hope mm -hmm. and you know they find a system that kind of makes sense of everything that's that they see is wrong with the world and uh you know they're gonna ruin their lives mm -hmm. in search of that hope and, and end up worse off than they were yeah. before in many cases yeah. and that's you know and again it's emotional abuse and emotional manipulation and that again that's why i would say a lot of pentecostal movements are cults i mean yeah. Uh, I believe there is a cultish aspect to the Bethel movement. And, you know, um, there's a lot of similarities between charismatic churches and cults. And the, um, yeah, and I think one of the biggest one is like emotional manipulation. You know, you're, you're, like you said, most people, they're not looking 
to join a cult. I mean, there's definitely people who are, but most people are just good intending people wanting to, you know, have hope in this world and ha and have uh, something that they believe that they're a part of that makes this world better. And, and the same could be said for, you know, somebody in Heaven's Gate as can be said for a Pentecostal church. They're, they're just looking for hope and and that's why i don't blame my parents for being involved in the church that we were i think my parents were just doing the best that they could and they were healing from their own traumas and and the pentecostal church offers those with addiction or former addiction a sense of high that they experienced in their addictive life it gives them um i do notice that it's big with former addicts yeah yeah because although a lot of cults are (laughs) yeah maybe it's all the same yeah (laughs) because it's all like hype and emotion and uh right now the immediacy dopamine level yeah yeah and the and the have even if even if speaking in tongues is real right like for everybody but being in a room where everybody's speaking in tongues just it's just like being at a concert and and everybody is singing the songs it it, it, there is some sort of uh chemical reaction that is happening in your brain of good like dopamine like this is good and this feels good and i feel like i'm I belong somewhere and that I have a purpose in this room. That's what a room full of people speaking in tongues is. That's what, you know, a cult chanting is. It, whether the belief or the thing is true or not, the general action of it is a form of getting high. Um, and it makes it, it does make sense, especially with my music example. Like, we all want that feeling like I we love going to concerts and and you know feeling like there's something that we can identify with out loud in a room and and it's really cool like to see you know a 12 year old kid at a My Chemical Romance concert when they weren't even alive when you know yeah like it's so cool and powerful to see that so many people are behind the music same thing with Colts so it's cool to see all these weird people coming together and believing in the same thing yeah that that's you know what we were made for we were made for community and and finding purpose and a sense of belonging and faith yeah yeah so i don't i don't blame i don't think people in cults are dumb or stupid or any of that i don't blame them some of them are (laughs) yeah but but again it's just keeping your eye out for things like if you can't get all the information in one day physically in your hands it's stuff like that it's like and the money too and the money and that's why the death of death patreon is only four dollars a month and there's no level you have to go beyond that it's four dollars a month for in for total enlightenment (laughs) four dollars yeah sign me up four (laughs) dollars Total transcendency and, uh, and enlightenment. <laughs> yes, of course. Of course. Crazy. Yeah. All right. Two part question. 
Um, do you think if your parents were still alive, they would still be involved in Pentecostalism? And second part, what do you think they would think of your path in philosophy and theologically where you ended up? Both of my parents were really emotional people. Like they just were emotional and, and you know, and that's okay. Um, so they never would have ended up in like a, an Orthodox reformed church probably. I think so as, as much as they enjoyed the emotional aspect in a charismatic church, as much as they enjoyed everything that, I just explained my mom and my dad were also very interested in um, the Bible, you know, and I think even though they both grew up, my dad grew up Catholic and my mom grew up, I think, nominally Christian, Um, even though, you know, again like that you can't know everything from the bible from growing up and and then they both had traumatic parts of their lives um so it wasn't until you know mo- and like most people when when you have kids that's when you start to take faith seriously because you want to pass down faith to your kids and 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 so and have safe place for your kids to worship and all that so i think you know after having my brother in me that's when they were starting to implore it and unfortunately the first place they were imploring it was a cult I mean that's not their fault and so then little by little you're going along with it but I do think over time because not only were they interested in what was happening at the charismatic church they were also interested in the bible so I would really like to believe that even without me and my influence and my journey that after imploring the Bible, they would have left the, that type of church. Yeah. 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 That's, that's why I asked it the way I did, because you can't really, um, I mean, as useless as it is to think about hypotheticals most of the time, um, you can't really ask a question like that without including the, where you ended up and, and mm-hmm. what kind of influence you may have had. But. Yeah. Yeah. So Scientology is your favorite cult. Talked about a lot of your life story. Did you enjoy our time at the lake? I did. It's really pretty here. Lake Ten Killer. Yeah. Um, Yeah, we took the boat out yesterday for like six hours. Yeah, that was fun. We're both sunburned. Yeah. (laughs) The worst sunburn I've had since uh, the young adult uh, retreat with Trevor Wright. (laughs) Yeah. You're telling me those stories. Horrible. It was the worst sunburn (laughs) of my life. Me and Josh Loueza burned to a crisp. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) All right. Well, anything else that you want to say? I meant to talk about veganism, but we've been going an Mm -hmm. hour and 20 minutes already. So we'll have to save that for another episode. No, I just want to say how much I enjoy having a husband who is obsessed with the truth and and not being biased and you know researching things and all you do is research things you know (laughs) more than you even talk to me (laughs) yeah i mean some days but i just really appreciate 
what you do on your podcast and the and the work that you put into it and I feel um just feel blessed to have a partner who likes the things that I like <laughs> and to be so good at it and uh, stuff well I appreciate you saying that so much and I love I, you I love you and I thank you for being on the podcast and you are the sexiest creature I've ever laid eyes oh, on. Oh, no. You're doing Jeff Goldblum. <laughs> I'm doing Jeff Goldblum. <laughs> the sexiest creature I've ever laid eyes on. Uh, yeah, definitely in the top two or three sexiest guests I've ever had on this show, for sure. Um, <laughs> you know, we, we got Trevor in there. We got Nick Quinn. You know, there's there's been a few guests. Um, Mason will I'm, be I'm jealous if you don't. I, uh, Mason and Sam were in there. Yeah, I think I'm gonna put you at number one though. Okay, good. Thank God. <laughs> God. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you again, You're and uh, thank you for winning a raffle at work so we could come here for the weekend. Yeah, I won a raffle. I never win yeah. raffles. That was a pretty good raffle. Yeah, pretty good raffle. All right. Well, so. we gotta we gotta go fill the boat up with gas and get home to be with our cats. Our kitties. Because our cats have been. Should we? end it with our dirty little secret what's the secret <laughs> we faced our alexa oh, towards right. the the cat cages and we've been dropping in on them yeah we had someone spend yesterday with them and let them out but other than that they've been uh locked up in their for cages. a few hours their cages are ca cat condos if you're from PETA. Nobody listening to this podcast cares how we treat our cats, <laughs> but we, we took care of them. Yeah. Sure. <laughs> and I can't wait to get home and see them. They're going to be kidding. so excited. Yeah. yeah. All right. Thank you for uh, listening, everyone. I might put a bow on this and post, but uh, this is probably going to be it. So uh, go support the Patreon and uh, buy a shirt and all that. So, uh, yeah. All right. Signing off. Yeah.